Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for another morning. Thank you for bringing us to this this part of our week and this part of our, our day that we might hear the preaching of the word. Father, we ask that you would speak to us and that your word would be powerful. We've all come from a different direction to meet here this morning, yet we all come desperate for you, utterly and totally dependent upon you, Lord. And whether we realize that or not, Lord, please make us aware of it today. That we might trust wholeheartedly with all surrender in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a black pew Bible there in front of you and it'll be page... 1116, 1116, 1 Peter chapter 5. We are just about finished. We've been going through 1 Peter now for a long time and we're just about done. Uh, We'll probably finish up next week with this book. Today we're going to look at verses 8 and possibly verse 9. Peter is writing his book, it only has five chapters, to Christian people who are suffering suffering Christians, and he is writing to them, teaching them how to deal with it, how to have understanding and what they should do and where their focus should be. Today we move right along to learning about the devil. I'm excited today to preach to you about the devil. Seems like I've got a little bit of a, a heavier burden knowing the reality of this passage. I've titled this passage, which you, this sermon, and which you see in the bulletin there, Be Watchful, The Devil is Real. It is very true. Uh, We need to be more aware of it that the devil is real. He wants to mess us up. And we ought to be on guard for that. One of our favorite things to do as a family is to go to the zoo. We're thankful that Louisville has a nice zoo. The Louisville Zoo is uh, is a nice one. And it's right here close by. We can get to the Louisville Zoo here. Uh, right off the Poplar Level exit, right off the Waterson, in like 10 minutes from Fairdale. And so we go a lot, and we have passes, and we go as often as we can. And uh, I'm not able to go as much, but Val takes the kids, and we have a good time. And uh, right now, the zoo is under some construction, and so you can't get to the lions. You can't get to where you can walk up there and see the lions, but uh, sticking with the character of a lion, they let you know that they're there. If you are anywhere in the zoo, when they decide to start roaring, they will have your attention. Especially when that male lion comes up to the edge of the rocks and sticks its head out and its chest out and starts to roar. It's not really loud, but it's really deep. You can be far away. You can be over at the polar bear and hear that lion roar. Lions are powerful. They have the nickname King of the Jungle for a reason. They are strong and they are uh, impressive. Just last month, in Johannesburg, South Africa, two Americans were there on vacation taking a tour in southern Africa, in the country of South Africa. They were in Johannesburg, which is the capital, and they were uh, on a safari, one where you can drive yourself. And everything about these safaris says, keep your windows up, keep your windows up. When you pay, keep your windows up. When you're handed your documents, keep your windows up. And at every single fence you see, keep your windows up. 
Well, this 29-year-old lady, along with her husband, came upon a lion and had to get a good picture. So she rolled down her window. The lion, looking peaceful like you would think, when her window rolled down, attacked and killed her through the window just last month. I don't think anybody in here questions the seriousness of a lion. Lions are 10 to 12 feet tall, 400 to 600 pounds, and they are cats. It's unbelievable. The impressive, powerful nature of a lion. When Peter's writing a letter to Christian people who are having a hard time with life, life seems to be against them. Their hurts have led to tears. They literally feel like all they can do is pray. They find themselves asking, man, when are things going to get any better? God, are you mindful of us suffering Christian people? Peter compares the devil who is against them to a lion. A lion that is roaming around looking to devour Christian people. Read with me, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. He did not minimize the devil's strength and effectiveness. He used an analogy that ought to make us think, oh my. Lions are scary and lions are dangerous. He begins by saying, be sober-minded. If there's anything in your thought process or your outlook or your vision that is cloudy or buzzing or blurry or drunken that causes you to not have a clear focus in life, then you are going to lose to this devil. He's not a little kitty cat that may scratch you. He is a devil that's like a lion that devours. And we need to be aware of this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Hey, watch out for it. Y'all know what watchful means? I love it when I pull up in the driveway in the evenings when I get home from work and the curtains are pulled back and before I can get to the door, the kids have opened the door for me. They know, or at least mom tells them, that it's about that time. Dad's going to be home anytime. And they're watching for me to get there. It's quite the opposite as if I get home and I open the door. I'm like, well, where are y'all? Didn't y'all want to see me? And they're just over there in their room. Hey, I'm home. Okay, good for you. You know, there's a difference. We know what watchful means. And Peter is telling Christians, be watchful. There's a lion out there wants to ruin you, devour you. The great preacher from the 1600s, John Bunyan says, talking about Christians who want to go to heaven, he says, they who will have heaven must run for it because the devil, along with the law, sin, and death, and hell are following them. 
There is never a poor soul that goes to heaven where the devil did not chase after him. And I assure you that the devil is nimble. He can run very quickly. He is light on his feet. And he has overtaken many people. He has knocked them down. And he has given them an everlasting fall. We are serious when we say the devil is very good at devouring people and many people he has devoured. John Bunyan warns us of this. Peter does as well. So today I want to preach to you on what the devil's like. I want you to be watchful, sober-minded in living your life aware of an adversary. I want to give you three points of what the devil's like. Today's going to be all about the devil. And I think that you need to hear it. Number one, the devil is against you. He's an adversary. He is against you. This word is like one that you would see in a a courtroom, in a a lawsuit, where somebody is setting themselves up to go against you. I'm going to make my argument to make you lose. The devil is that. He is an adversary. Number one, he's against us. Number two, the devil is skilled. He's good at it. He prowls around like a roaring lion. I sat yesterday and watched some YouTube videos of lions attacking just to get a little better idea of this. And it's unbelievable how there can be a 500-pound cat that can walk like this to a 700-pound water buffalo, and whenever it's ready, it just goes and gets it. And the smaller cat lion can overtake a heavier water buffalo just because it's so good at what it does. The devil is skilled, number two. And then number three... The devil wants to destroy you. He has one goal. One goal. He is seeking someone to devour. And the Bible is all about this. You know, we we know that sin is our problem, but we know that the devil is also a problem. The Bible is all about this. I want to remind you of this. It's the clear teaching of the apostles I want to read to you some passages. We have here Peter saying that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion and he wants to devour us. You don't have to turn, but you can take notes. If I turn back one book to the book of James, James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. Resist him. He's working. And then James says, If you resist the devil, the devil will flee from you. John, another apostle, writing in 1 John, also speaks of the devil. In 2.13 he says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. He knows that the evil one is against us. Specifically here, the evil one is against young men. Yet through Jesus, you can overcome the evil one. John goes on in 3.8 to say, listen to this one, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. People who sin are closer to the devil than they are to God. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is John talking about the devil. Yet then again, 1 John 5.18, he says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. John speaks of the devil. Peter speaks of the devil. James speaks of the devil. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. 
For fear, Paul writing to a church in Thessalonica has a fear that somehow the tempter, that is the devil, had tempted you and that our labor would be in vain. That you had left the faith. You're no longer following Jesus because Satan, the tempter, had come, tempted you, and gotten you to listen to Him rather than to God. I show you all that to show that the Bible is clear on this. Satan is against the church. Satan must be resisted by faith and by the Word of God. We do, we do well to know Satan's tactics. I want to remind you of Jesus' words in John 10. Our Lord Jesus, that the thief, referring to the devil, comes only to steal you, kill you, and destroy you. And then He says, but I have come that you may have life and that you would have it more abundantly. A well-known verse in which Jesus our Lord talks about what the devil is trying to do to you. So here we are at 1 Peter chapter 5, hearing the warning to be sober-minded and watchful, resisting the devil. So let's learn about the devil. Number one, the devil is against you. He is an adversary. Your adversary. We need to know that for people who are living, the devil's against them. The devil is against you. The devil right now has you in mind and he knows your name and he cares about what's going on with you and he wants you to lose. He's against you. He is observing and prowling around like a lion hoping to make you worse. And depending on what type of people we are, it's different things that will make us worse. It's not He just wants to get all of us to fall into drugs or get all of us to fall into debt or get all of us to fall into this or into that. It's different for everybody. I'll talk about that when I say that He's skilled. But He is against us. He knows that the very best thing for us is God. And so He wants to keep us away from God. He's an adversary. He is an opponent to us. And we need to be people who are aware of this. One of the things that is so good about sports is that sports will help you learn that things are not easy in life. You cannot just walk out onto a game or a competition and think that it's going to go well. One of the great things about being a parent and a father to kids is teaching them this. Because kids sometimes love to play games. As you know, kids love to play games. But when they enter into the aspect of playing games and losing games, this is a whole new world. Losing is not something that we enjoy. Do you want to throw a ball? Yes. You want to see who can throw the ball better? No. You want to shoot basketball? Yes. You want to play one-on-one? No. Because I don't like losing is what you will see happen with kids. And kids need to learn this. Well, in sports, all it is is, let's see who can do it better. This person's trying to beat this person. This person's trying to beat this person. It's a head-to-head challenge. The goal in the sports for that one person is to do their best, but to beat the opponent. The Bible is teaching us that life has that aspect to it. We don't think about it like that. Satan is our adversary. He's wanting to make sure you lose. He wants you, hear me, 
To not have bad days. See, a lot of times we, we equate the devil to a bad day. We, we fall into this stuff that we see at like Valentine's Day that we've got a, you know, a good little angel on this shoulder and a bad little devil on this shoulder and it's just one wants to make us have a bad day. Satan's okay with you having good days as long as you don't know God and you coast right on to hell. Satan wants you to lose at life. Satan wants you to be wrong. He is an adversary. Charles Spurgeon says, I do not think the devil cares how many churches you build if only you have lukewarm preachers and people in them. Satan is okay for us to stay indifferent. Satan is okay for us to stay people who, yeah, I mean, I, I believe in God. But we don't surrender all of ourselves and, and get equipped and, and go for it. We don't fall in love with God and learn the truth and grow in Him. Satan's okay with that. He opposes us. J.C. Ryle says, the devil will tell you at the beginning of your lives that it is too, too soon to serve God. You've got the rest of your life to get right with Him. And then he will tell you at the end of your lives that it is too late. You've wasted it. That's how Satan works. He's against us. And when you know that somebody is against you, the first thing that you want to do is to say, how do I beat it? How do I avoid it? How do I get better at it? How do I keep it from beating me? So we hear, number one, the devil is against you. He says your adversary, the devil there in 1 Peter 5, 8. Number two, the devil is skilled. He prowls around like a roaring lion. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve were in the garden and there was no sin. God had made them without sin. Adam and Eve, the first two people on earth. And they were there be fruitful and multiply. They were to be having children. They were to be taking care of the garden. They were to be hanging out with the animals. There was no evil. There was no sin. There was no death on the planet. There was no death in creation. And the Bible says that Satan disguised himself as a serpent. Crafty and deceptive came slithering up. And that's smart. That's smart. He didn't come up like a talking horse. He didn't come up in something silly came up like a snake. Satan is skilled. He knows how to move his way into situations. You ever had a little um, tension in the house over something small like who did the dishes turn into an all-out fight where y'all are yelling? You ever had a real small issue that was really not a big deal ruin the day? You ever had a disagreement over where you're going to go out to dinner? And y'all never being able to get along and that turned into, well, let's just go home. We won't even go out to eat. You ever had something small like a kid taking out the trash or a kid not making their bed or a kid not doing their homework turn into mom and dad screaming at the kid and the kid just tuning out over something so little like making a bed? Satan's crafty. Satan will mess us up. You ever heard of a story of two young people thinking that they really loved each other 
And the next thing you know, they're ruining themselves with impurity all over the place. Have you ever once been able to talk to the many young girls that live in this community who are used and used and used and used? Are you aware of how many people are turning to drugs because they think that's the only way they can have peace or be calm or be happy? Satan's good at what he does. He is crafty. He is deceptive. He prowls around like a lion looking for somebody to get. He's good at it. You ever known a man that works so much because he has to that he doesn't spend time with his kids? And then he doesn't have a good relationship with his kids? He thought it's because he had to work? I was at a pool party yesterday for some little kids, and there are about 20 kids there. And you know how that is when you're there with first graders and second graders. You've got some kids that can swim like a fish, and you've got some kids that can't swim yet. And when you're all the same age, that's, that's tough. It's hard on a six-year-old boy if everybody else is swimming, and he's strapped up in little swimmies like the three-year-olds are. When you see a seven-year-old having to wear the same thing that a three- or four-year-old's wearing, and some seven-year-olds aren't wearing it, that's hard on the kid. Now, us parents know it's not that big of a deal. They're all going to learn to swim eventually. But for the kid, it's hard. This is a true story. I saw the dad walk over to his boy. Mom wasn't there. I saw the dad walk over to his boy and said, Why are you wearing a swimmy still, you little sissy? Other boys your age aren't wearing them. Why are you still wearing the swimmies, you sissy? Hurt my heart. A little bit later, he took the swimmies off of him and tried to get the kid to swim, but the kid can't swim. And it's hard to teach a kid to swim. It takes time. So the kid's trying to swim, and he's not. And the kid's getting scared, and the dad's like walking back in the water saying, come on, come on, come on. And the kid just wasn't getting it, so he's going under the water and... Eventually they give up, he gets the kid out, the kid puts his swimmies back on, the dad goes and changes his clothes and goes and sits by the pool in his clothes. I got to talking to the dad a little bit later. I said, over there in that neighborhood that y'all live, y'all have a pool? He's like, no, we don't have a pool right there in our neighborhood, but the, the neighborhood beside us has a pool. We have access to it. We can go there. He said, but you know, man, I don't see why we would go there. I got a, I got a pool at my gym. In the gym I go work out every day has a pool. I can just swim there. And you know what I was thinking, right? Well, your boy doesn't get swimming with you at the gym. There's your problem. You think Satan don't have his self all in that? You think six-year-olds like to be called sissy from their dad that knows how to swim? Satan knows what he's doing. In all of our situations, he's crafty and skilled. I know that there's a lot of y'all sitting in here right now that love your spouse to death. The way family tension goes, sure doesn't seem like it. But you know you love each other. Satan's right there. Satan's right there. He's skilled at this. There's a book out that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Screwtape Letters. And this book is fiction. And it's a book about... C.S. Lewis writing about Satan's tactics and his strategies. And screw tape is 
like the devil, or at least somebody working for the devil. And he's got a little nephew named Wormwood. I think, it's, I think I'm getting this correct. And Screwtape is like the devil, and Wormwood is like his nephew that's like one of his workers, like a demon that works for him. And the whole book is just letters that he writes to his nephew about what their strategies are. It's fascinating. Now it's fiction. He's making it up according to what he sees in the Bible. But it is fascinating. I want to read you a couple quotes that C.S. Lewis is saying about the way Satan works in our lives. He says, Wormwood... Indeed, the safest road to hell for these people is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Love your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Insightful, right? The devil's not sitting over there dropping bombs on you saying, okay, become an atheist and walk to hell. That's not how it happens. He just wants us to coast and think, we're okay. We're okay. He says this. Listen, this is, this is fascinating. He says, Wormwood, isn't it funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds? Isn't that how we are? The devil gave me that thought. The devil's giving me this negativity. The devil's putting this in my mind. People talk like that. He said, isn't it funny how that's what they think? He says, in reality, our best work is done by keeping things out of their mind. See, we don't think we need the Word of God. I wonder how many of you, this is the first time you've heard the Word of God since last Sunday. We're not aware of our adversary being against us. We're not aware that the Word of God is life to us. This morning, we're always running late, but this morning we were running late to church. I come early with the boys. And so I'm walking out to the car, and I'm like, let's go boys. And they come running, they've all got their little baggie of... Uh, shredded mini wheat cereal that they carry with them to be their breakfast or the second half of their breakfast that they bring to church. And I said, well, where are your Bibles? And they said, we, we didn't get them. We forgot them. I said, you brought your breakfast and you didn't bring your Bible? What's more important? And they don't know. So we get in the car and I tell them the story from Matthew chapter 4 where the Satan comes to Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert before He started His ministry. And the greatest understatement in the Bible is that it says that Jesus was hungry because He'd been fasting for 40 days. So Satan comes to Him and says, hey, you can do anything you want to. Why don't you take these stones and make them bread and then you'll eat. You won't be hungry. Jesus turns to Satan and quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and He says, haven't you read the Word of God, Satan? Man doesn't live by bread. Man lives by every word from the mouth of God. 
There is one way for me to survive. And there is one way for you to survive. And it is to have a loyalty and allegiance to the Word of God that surpasses every other allegiance that you have. I know the truth and the truth has set me free from my sins of what Jesus has done. And Jesus being hungry from not eating 40 days has the ability to take bread from a stone and eat it. He could have done it. But He wanted to prove to us and show to us and teach us that it is more important for we humans to have the Word of God than it is to even have bread. And I told them that in the car this morning on the way to church. And I said, now, how important is food? And they're like, very, yeah, very. We eat food all day long. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks in between. And as soon as we get hungry, we think, I need to eat, I need to eat. We eat all the time. We need food. If you don't have food, you're going to get weak and sick and die. But more than you need food, you need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. And if you're one of those people that is still holding on to you think you believe in God, but you don't really know the Word of God, I, I don't want to step on your toes, really. I want to encourage you to get into the Word. Become somebody who values this hour. I want to hear some preaching. I want to read my Bible. I want to know what God has said. He's speaking to me through the Word. And Satan is very crafty to keep us from that. We're too busy to read. We've got other stuff. Our phones keep our attention so much. Screwtape tells Wormwood. Isn't it funny how they think we're always putting things in their mind? <laughs> really, our greatest work is we're keeping things out of their mind. It's fascinating. One more quote from the screw tape letters. He says, There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against God. This is what he's saying his strategy is. He wants, talking about God, he wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Wow. Aren't we often captivated and, and gripped and controlled in a negative way with the thought of what will happen to us? What will happen if I give that guy begging on the side of the street $2? What will happen to me if this person who's caught up in drugs moves in next door? What will happen? What will happen to me if I go to the jungle of Ecuador? I might get diarrhea. What will happen to me if I move to live in North Africa? What will happen to me if I start spending less money on my kids? What will happen to me if we go without watching TV all the time? What will happen to me if we take the TV out of the kids' room? What will happen to me? What will happen to me? What will happen to me? We're, we're so worried about what will happen to us. And Screwtape tells Wormwood that's our strategy. We want them bothered by wondering what's going to happen. I mean, I mean, what's going to happen to us? Instead of thinking, I don't care what happens to me. I want to do what God tells me to do. He says God wants them concerned with what they do. We want them concerned with what will happen. We want them scared, in other words. We want them worried about it. He is skilled. He is so skilled.
The devil is against you. He's our adversary. The devil is skilled. He prowls around like a roaring lion. And lastly, the devil wants to destroy you. He's seeking someone to devour. Why is he against us? Why is he so good at what he's doing? Because he has a goal to ruin us. And in ruining us, we need to know that that does look different for a lot of people. I know poor people who think they can't trust God because He doesn't take care of them. I know rich people that have a lot of money and they think they don't need to trust God because they have everything. I know people in between rich and poor, which is where everybody feels they are, right? <laughs> I know people in between rich and poor who say things like, Somebody said to me at the hospital this week, I'm standing outside of a hospital room as a lady is dying, going to die any day. And so there's about 20 different family members, many high schoolers sitting there in the hallway, some grandparents, some neighborhood friends, all right out here in the hallway. The doctors, the nurses, the family, everybody can hear. And this lady who's retired looks over to me and she says, well, you're a preacher, let me ask you. There's all types of religions and churches out there. How am I supposed to know which one's right? I said, that's a good question. I said, I'd stick with one that causes you to do two things. Or that does two things. One, commit, is committed to the Bible, and you feel like you're getting closer to God. I'd start with that. If they're committed to the Bible, and because of that you're getting closer to God, I'd start there. She's... She said, yeah, I know, but there are churches that say they're committed to the Bible and they say this, and churches that say they're committed to the Bible and then they say this, and they're two different things. I said, well, I'd read the Bible, see which one you think's right. She said, yeah, but what's it all about? I said, well, you know that. It's all about Jesus. Which one's going to get you closer to Jesus? She said, well, if that's true and it's all about Jesus, I'm doing that at home. I can stay home and be all about Jesus. I said, well, part of being all about Jesus is listening to what Jesus says. And Jesus says, you need a church. And you need a pastor. And you need brothers and sisters in Christ. Conversation ended there. I think the doctor came out or something like that. Some people think they don't need God because He's never helped. Some people think they don't need God because they don't need Him. Some people think God's such a mess and His people have confused it so much. I don't know where to start. As KB says, some people think they've gone too far or they're too far gone. At least Satan wants us to think that. He wants to kill us. He wants us to have a security in something that's not very secure. He wants us to build our lives on a foundation that's not really a foundation. He wants us to try to stand in the sinking sand. He wants to kill us. Satan wants us to not love God. 
When He means devour us, He means not love God and have our lives end not loving God. Not trust God and have our lives end not trusting God. And as you know, if you don't love God, if you're not trusting in God, if you're not been forgiven of your sins by God, and your life ends that way, then Satan has devoured you and you remain in that position in hell forever. And Satan has devoured you. He wants that to happen to every person. The Bible teaches us, as I read in 1 John, that greater is He who is in us than he who is in the world. Meaning that Jesus is greater than the devil. The Bible teaches us that when Christ rose from the grave victorious, that not sin or death or the devil could have victory over Jesus. Jesus is Lord, God, and King. And with Jesus being Lord, God, and King, anybody who will come to Christ and say, please forgive me of my sins, be my Lord and Savior, be my God, they will be so safe in Jesus that Satan cannot devour them. That is why the mark of Christianity and the goal of this church is to proclaim Jesus that people would find themselves more and more and more and more committed to the Lord Jesus Christ knowing there is safety there. And Satan is a lion running around trying to devour me, but the Lord Jesus has made me steadfast and resisting and sober-minded and watchful. And I'm aware that He's trying to ruin my life. I'm aware that He's against me. I'm aware that He's skilled. And I'm aware that He wants to destroy me but our hope is in Christ. And our hope being in Christ keeps us close to Him and watching to make sure that Satan does not overcome us. Jesus died, and when Jesus died, He defeated the devil. When He rose from the grave, He defeated the devil, and we are to trust Him. And so it is very clear, if somebody will not come to Christ be forgiven of their sins, and become a follower of Jesus. If they won't, Satan is winning. The adversary is doing his job. He is finding someone to devour. And if you think you don't need Christ, you don't need to be a Christian, you don't need to be somebody who is committed to Christ for the forgiveness of sins, then Satan, our adversary, is doing what he wants to do to you. And so it is for the whole world. I want to point out something here. This book is written to Christians. Meaning, Satan even has his eyes on those who know the answer. Satan even has his, his tactics on those who know that Jesus has defeated Satan and he's still trying. May we be those who know he's against us. May we, be no, may we be those who know all oh, He's skilled. He's like a lion. May we be those who know He wants to destroy us. But we know that He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But we know the One who is greater in Jesus, who died for us, who will give us life and abundant life. In Job chapter 1, y'all know the story of Job. Most of you do, I know. 
In Job chapter 1, you've got Job as the most righteous man on the planet, it says. Job was awesome. Big family, a wife, and lots of children. And the Bible says that Satan was doing what Peter says he was. He was pacing, it says, to and fro. Cats will pace. And he was pacing to and fro, it says, on earth, looking for somebody to devour. And God says, you ever thought about Job? One of the neatest things about the story of Job is that it's God's idea for Satan to try Job. God says, you ever thought about Job? And Job says, let me, uh, God says to Satan, you ever thought about Job? And Satan says, let me try. Martin Luther tells us that even the devil is God's devil. And when you read the book of Job, you see the devil doesn't have anything on God. Nothing. So God says, well, go ahead. Satan says, well, I'm going to tell you right now, God, the only reason why Job loves you and trusts in you is because his life is so blessed. He's got it good. God says, have at it. Satan goes and destroys Job, kills all of his children. Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan can't do anything to God's people when God's people trust in God. But he's real and he'll try. And the story of Job shows us that so very clearly. So if Satan is real and we need to be watchful, what is our response? Our response is an all-out surrender commitment to Jesus and to His Word. I end with this quote. It says, all Christians suck life from God's holy word. We die without it. We will not let it be taken from us. We will go to jail rather than stop reading God's word. So what does Satan do? His one aim is to destroy our faith. The word of God alone keeps faith alive. But we cleave to it and Satan cannot tear it away. So he studies it. How else could he quote Psalms and Deuteronomy? How else could he quote this stuff to Jesus? Satan studies it. And he studies how to distort it and how to pervert it by plausible misinterpretations. Yes, they must be plausible. He is no head because they are far too easily corrected. He goes on to say, Note well, Satan does not always try to ruin faith by saying the Bible is not true. He often tries to destroy our faith by affirming some passage and using it to lead us into disobedience. Folks, Satan is real. We need to be watchful. And watchful looks to us like a commitment to Jesus as Lord through His Word. May God strengthen us to that. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. We have an adversary, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour us, and we don't want him to. And by faith in Jesus, we will not be devoured. You will keep us. Father, I pray that we would be warned and alarmed today at the devil and his tactics. I pray that we would see a great comparison to the lady who was killed just last month in South Africa because a lion jumped in her window and killed her. Oh, that we would be watchful. We would not roll our window down and let Satan in, so to speak. Father, I pray that You would strengthen us in our faith today, that we would be committed believers of Jesus.
In his name we pray. Amen.